Hello and welcome. My name is Jill Martin, the host of the Morning Ball podcast. On today's episode, Luke and I are joined by Rose Michael. Rose is currently a lecturer at RMIT, as well as having been published in Griffith Review, Best Australian Stories, Island, Review of Australian Fiction, Sydney Review of Books, Mianjin, and Overland. Her first novel, The Asking Game, was a runner-up for The Vogel and received an Aurealis honourable mention. Her second, The Art of Navigation, is out now. In the media section for the podcast, we chat about a Russian film, The Fool, Lord of the Rings on a projector, Mission Impossible, and much more. And for the topic, we chat about literary speculative fiction, what it is, and how it appears in the wild. As always, if you have any questions, don't hesitate in contacting me at my email, mailbox, at thepenofjoel.com. You can also find our specfic endeavors at specfic.com.au or via our Twitter, at specficvic. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. I am at the Brunswick Street Bookstore, or rather, we're at the Brunswick Street Bookstore, because along with me, I've got my co-host back, Luke Manley. How's it going? Long time no see. It has been a long time between <laughs> it's like drinks. Seven months? Something Six like months? that. So we got lazy after speculate and then we just didn't do any podcasts for a very long time for a bunch of reasons. But then we came back with a podcast that should be out by now. Um, with Rebecca Lim, so absolutely check that out. Um, and Luke was heckling in the back of. Oh, podcast. I was here. You might have heard me once or twice. Yeah, you had some booing, controversial booing opinions Ian about Dunkirk, didn't you? <laughs> uh, I've I just didn't find it exciting. I need I'd need to watch it again because I, I watched it. and I was yeah. like, ooh, I've seen better. But so we'll see if we get that on our I, media section. I'll once. have to review the movie before I. <laughs> there you go. Before I talk about it, because it's been like a year since I watched it, so Absolutely. it's not fresh enough. Well, seven months, what have you been up to? Oh, I keep doing all kinds of things, so I go all over the place. Mm. So, writing bits and pieces here, starting a project here, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's kind of... You're creatively uh, promiscuous. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a bad thing at all. Um, More like... You, um, so I'm spoiling... Absent-minded. A, I'm <laughs> spoiling a project that's still in the works, obviously. Oof. But maybe get some hype, like, before you even decide to do it. Oh. But didn't you want to do something like an audio drama thing that you were putting together for next year? Ooh, an you don't. Drama. You don't have to go into detail. See, see now I'm lost because I, 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 <laughs> I mentioned an audio <laughs> project, but uh, yeah. I'm not sure about the drama side. Um, there you go. I was considering something along... The lines of uh, a slightly more casual, not casual, but slightly a side podcast. But like spec ficky, right? A bit more spec ficky, yeah. Yeah. Or a bit more um, focused on, say, uh, opinions. Yeah. And like uh, just like personal opinion or like one or two, like me and one guest kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, there's been a little progress on that, but we'll see. We'll, we'll see, see how happens, it goes. But keep us informed. Yeah, I'll keep, I'll keep very <laughs> keep curious that about one, yeah. that. But a podcast would not be, well, our podcast would not be complete without a wonderful guest. And we have one today. Rose, Michael, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. Lovely to have you. So how have you been? It's been a while since Speculate when it you were indeed. on. 
moderating the science fiction panel, and that yep. went down really that well. Was, that was very good fun. Thank yeah. you for inviting me to that too. No worries. Thanks for showing up. It was great. Yeah. And then I think we had scheduled to chat, but then I went to New York for this writer's hotel. Yeah. It worked out because we just mm. took a big break between yeah. podcasts. Um, but I thought, well, we have a slot free and we want to get you back on. So lovely Happy. to have you on. Um, so how has your week been, Rose? What's My been happening? Week, well, there's a smell of spring in the air, isn't there? There's well, a bit of sun. Not today. <laughs> <laughs> cold but sunny. Yeah, absolutely. Very cold. Negative 1.6 degrees <sighs> this morning, I think, cycling yeah. to yoga at five in the morning. I know. See, I didn't. So I left the house quite late and I had some work in the morning. So I was working at home and then I was like, okay, I'm going to leave. And I left when it was sunny. So I thought, no scuff needed. <laughs> Right? No scarf needed. Bad call. Bad <laughs> Melbourne. call. Melbourne. <laughs> um, so I was walking down Brunswick Street. And I've, I've never impulse bought a scarf before, right? <laughs> this is really important. You, you probably shouldn't have either after looking at that one. <laughs> All right. So I've had completely different reactions to this scarf. I've had, that is the nicest scarf I've seen, or... Your reaction right now. All today? Was, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people... You only just bought it today and you've had a lot of people comment Within on it. Within 10 minutes, somebody commented on the scarf and said, that is a lovely scarf. And I was like, well, I'll take that as confirmation. Rose, you're going to be the decider. Luke says it's awful. Sky blue and red is gorgeous. There we go. It's the combination. <laughs> there you go. Sold. Fantastic. That'll keep the listeners thinking, How's that? how does that work? How does that work? Yeah. Well, they do say red goes with nothing, but I disagree. I think it does. Um... But let's move on, shall we, and get talking about some media this week. Uh, Luke, why don't you start us off with what you've been consuming? Um, I just want to bring attention to one that I watched a couple of days ago. Yeah. I don't, I can't bother to pinpoint the day because I'm scatterbrained, but mm-hmm. um, I watched The Fool. Yeah. Uh, it's a Russian film, came out in 2014. Yep. And it's does a very good job of following someone who's in modern Russia or even, I mean, you could put it in modern, any developed country really. Sure. Um, who wants to, let's put it this way. He, he cares about people mm. and he wants to help out people and his care goes directly against um, all these people who have their fingers in pockets of money. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's an interesting story of like a modern modern hero who's going up against um, powers that he doesn't know exists until he runs into different bureaucracies and, and whatnot. Classic small small guy versus the big world kind of thing, right? A little bit, yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it goes a few layers deeper because his family also has adversity against him. Mm-hmm. So, um, because, I, you know, there's a lot of situations where the family's like, no, no, just keep your head down, be a normal person, that kind of, you know, go along with what everyone else is doing sure. to, you know, to take care of your wife and kids and, and whatnot. Um, and, and then there was another element to it where the people that he wants to help... Mm. Don't care. So, um, so he uh, cares see, for <laughs> them. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. cares. For, yeah, uh, I, I don't know if I, I could spoil it, but I guess I could say spoiler alert. Yeah, I don't know if either of you are worried. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I probably good. spoiled parts of it anyways. But yeah. Um, 
So the people he's caring about are occupants of a very old um, Soviet apartment building, which has been, it's crumbling. There's a huge crack going from the ground floor almost up to the top. Uh-huh. And one half of the building is starting to fall over. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like a student engineer. And um, so he he brings this up with the mayor. And she calls in the guy who's supposed to be managing. Like he's like a managing engineer. He's been dipping his hand into the re- renovation money for drinks. Mm. And um, building his own house and and taking care of his own family. And classic low-level corruption. Classic, yeah, low-level corruption. Um, and in uh, while she's called in this guy, she's also she's also called in all the other heads of departments and things. So like, because sure. they might need fire brigade in yeah. case in case they have to evacuate people, police to make sure to keep order if they got to evacuate people. All this, all the heads of this. Yeah, yeah. And all of them have you know hands in different pockets of sure. money. Yeah, yeah. And so there's a budget deficit. So they're all like leaning on each other and this one guy's here here saying look this is a problem i don't care if if there's um uh what do you call it i don't care if you've all got to fix it it's got to be fixed right mm. um and so where was i going with that there was another layer of yeah how it digs in how it digs in in that um so the people who are in this situation, they're all uh, in in the department, rather, yeah. are in poverty, and so the people up here look at them and say, "Oh, they're useless. They nothing. They're worth nothing to us. They actually take money from the taxes because they're um, like not working, yeah, using drugs, that kind of thing, yeah." And of course, the people who are in the building look at him and say, "Oh, who's this?" Who's this um, upstart who's just get, yeah. <laughs> trying to get us out of our homes? You know, right, the only yeah, yeah, only yeah. place we have to live. And so, both of these sides are conflicting to, um, or conflicting with the guy who's just trying to help. And right, uh, comes out really well. Uh, there's very, uh, it's very heart touching in the the way that, the way that his family kind of falls apart. Mm. And. Go and watch it. <laughs> yeah. No, go. it's a very good film. It's very. It's, it's it's curious because you've mentioned a few Russian films. Do you think that's like, uh, uh, what a? And it is difficult looking in from the outside, but you've seen quite a few. Um, you say that it could be set almost anywhere, but in the idea is, is there any? Are there any themes that you would say are classically Russian in like <laughs> Russian cinema? Oh, I think that even this film, like you can definitely see, it's more pertinent to. Is that the right word? I would say so. Anyways, it's it's more related to Russian culture and yeah. to what's happened to Russia and how it's sort of crumbled after the Soviet Union yeah, and, yeah. and because of the Soviet Union. Um, and so it, it it's definitely more relevant there. Yeah. And a lot of the films you would say, I could say rather, is uh, are affected by the almost dystopian yeah. landscape that they have now. Sure. Um, there's a there's a feeling of our glory days are past kind of a thing. Right? Not just that, but more like uh, the glory days that we thought were glorious, yeah, are still having effects on us. And look at the the stuff that we we have as a like a structure behind our civilization. Mm. It's you can see it's it's 
crumbling yeah. and it's we haven't fixed it. We still haven't fixed it. And the government, they're not going to pay to fix it. Yeah. And the authorities that are right above us, like, you know, mayors and stuff, they're not fixing it either. And so a lot of these films sort of seem to touch on uh, the trying to get these people to help themselves. Mm. Self-reliance. Yeah, it's a bit of self-reliance and like you can fix this problem. You just need to think about it and actually care about it. Yeah. Because there's a lot of apathy in Russia. There's a lot of apathy in their own culture, which is very hard to yeah. see. Yeah, I can imagine. That film came out when? 2014. 2014. There you go. Well, that's a film to check out for sure. How about very, yourself? Very well shot, by the yeah. way. Very, very good cinematography. How about yourself, Rose? What have you been consuming at the moment? Well, I was thinking, <laughs> I don't know why this one didn't come to mind, but actually what I've been doing for the past six weeks yeah. is watching Lord of the Rings on the projector with the kids oh. every Sunday afternoon. <laughs> what an event. With a bowl of popcorn. Yeah. And That's amazing. Yeah, it's actually been quite a spectacular undertaking. Mm. Um, it's definitely endeared me to the films more. Sure. Watching them through the eyes of an eight-year-old yeah, who's yeah, yeah. terrified by the battle of good and evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the grades of darkness. I had a moment um, the other week that did make me laugh where um, the little one wo- you know, woke up in the night. Like after these movies, he always wakes up in the night and he's always... And he, he doesn't really wake up. He's like sleepwalking and sleep talking, mm. you know, clearly having some version of nightmares in my bad parenting. I yeah. think he's fine. <laughs> um, and he goes, he goes, um, you tricked me. You tricked me. I'm so small. <laughs> and I was like, I, I think I'm scared <laughs> now. I'm I think I've got a golem in the bed. Movie, yeah. There you go. But yeah, like it's quite because imp- we're so sort of cynical. Yeah, yeah. And you know, particularly if we grew up with the books, you know sure. that you know Peter Jackson's got a particular challenge to you know Translate. match your own imagination exactly. And there's sure. so much that you can kind of ridicule and laugh about the endless jumping on the bed and all yeah. of that sort of stuff. But to kind of see the way the kids are so absorbed by the yeah. relationship dynamics mm-hmm. and they identify so strongly with the little people. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know which. You sort of forget. I think we we think we could be the humans or we think we could be the elves or whatever, but they're just the hobbits, you know, and they're really in that that sort of physicality. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the most interesting things that Tolkien brought to the table, I think, was the little people who could still be on the big people's adventure. Yes, and that that was the thing that when I when I was young and I wrote I read I read deep dark secrets <laughs> my unfulfilled desires um, when I read uh, so I read um, Lord of the Rings so I read The Hobbit no no I read Lord of the Rings first everyone read Lord of the Rings I read first. Lord of the Rings first and then Absolutely. I read The Hobbit. Um, written first. I know. We, my so, partner and I had these passionate arguments because I was like, we have to watch Lord of the Rings first. Exactly. Because it was filmed first. Exactly. You got to so do it. But no. So but we went in chronological, chronological order. order. <laughs> because, but it's, you know, it's the old Star Wars debate as well, isn't it? With this generation of kids, how do you introduce them to Star Wars? How about you watch the originals, don't Let's watch start the with prequels. Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. No. No, you got it all No, wrong. how about no? That's but right. yeah, I, I, re- I read um, Lord of the Rings, and at the, at the first, I had a quite a violent negative reaction to The Hobbits because mm. I was like, I don't want little people in no. my fantasy. Novel. That's right. I want, you know, cool yeah. Heroes yeah, leading the story. I want Aragon to start yeah. chapter one, and it took a very long time to get to Aragon yeah. in the book for me. But you know, in hindsight, that 
it was really smart of you know, in one sense, subverting fantasy expectations even back then. But one of the things I think that's interesting about Lord of the Rings, Mm. when I talk to guys who read it as kids, is a lot of them don't identify with one of the characters. Yeah. And that's very similar to the experience that you might have as a girl reading a lot of fantasy that didn't have female characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And so it becomes quite interesting, something like Lord of the Rings, because it just becomes really clear Mm. as a girl you might be more inclined to identify with an elf kind of boy. Yes. Or a hobbit kind of boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. these are versions. They're still not girls. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I think one of the things about Lord of the Rings is that you don't identify with one of the main characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no one thinks they're Bilbo or Frodo, do they? No. I mean, that, yeah. You I've know, never heard anyone say that to no. me. That's a good point. And yeah. at the same time, I don't think anyone actually thinks that they're, like, you know, Strider or... No, because no. I, I think in one sense it's because he's creating a myth, right? He's yeah. creating an English uh, myth. Tale, yeah. No. Yeah, f- no, no, no. for England. There was no, no such thing. When I, there was, Here we go. That was no such I, I was completely into the adventure. There was no mythology for me when but, I read but it. But did you, but did you identify, though? With an Irish oh, yeah. person, a French person, <laughs> a Welsh person <laughs> set in England. Yeah. Yeah. Are you talking about the movies or the books? The, the book. I mean, clearly <laughs> yeah. they, they're... You it's know, in the but it never, yeah, but it like, never came. Oh, the only thing that came through to me was the Britishisms. I never caught the Frenchisms or anything like that yeah, when I was yeah, reading yeah. it. But uh, yeah, I didn't identify with a character, but I was identified as one of the one of the the party. You know, one of the like you were tagging yeah. along. You were yeah, part yeah. of the like group. I, I was think, one that's, of the, I was I think there, that's what he does really well. Is yeah. he d- diffuses yes. the narrative? So you're hmm. just you're almost like a shadow figure. You're like you're a horse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're just, yeah, you're along you're for there. the ride. Yeah, and I didn't I didn't mean that there were Frenchisms or whatever. I meant that the elves are clearly based on the kind of Norman. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, <laughs> absolutely. English. Like they're all tropes. Oh, I know, of but I mean, like when I was when you're reading it, it just doesn't. It did, well, when you're reading it as like an eight-year-old, ten-year-old, it doesn't come through you're not, for me. Yeah. I don't think, yeah. And, and that's the thing about myth, right, is that mm. myth doesn't need to have meaning in and of itself mm. to, to that audience. It's just, it is a collection of meaning. So if you, no one's going to be like, I identify with Gilgamesh, right? It's like, well, yeah. Yeah, the story of Gilgamesh mm. is a story, um, but it has all of these layerings to that myth and like Enkidu and all this sort of stuff. But at the same time, that's what I think Lord of the Rings is. It's a great story, mm. but it has that level of myth. And I mean, he was writing about um, on fairy tales. And like, if you look at those kinds of works, you clearly understand his thought process and putting it together. Mm. It's super interesting and different to why we write fantasy today, mm. right? Mm, um, I'm you don't not think sure so? that I identify with anyone in uh, Game of Thrones, for instance. Interesting, but you barrack for them, right? Barrack for, yes, but you barrack for all of the people in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> you have your or none of them. Or, or none, none of them. Or none of them. That was my experience in the movie, is I just thought I find all of these, like, two-dimensional. You couldn't yeah, yeah, Game yeah. of Thrones, like, I barrack for, for all of them, like yeah, the bad yeah. guys, as well as the, you know. <laughs> because you find things that you can relate with. Yeah, that's with right, the humanity of them. The journeys of yeah, You couldn't barrack for Faramir or Boromir? Faramir who would throw everything yeah. away just because his, he well, was Faramir trying to please the his books, father. Well, Faramir in the books, rather than in the films, is quite flat, right? I just like, I do find flat is probably the word. I, I think that mm. it's that it's um, okay. a great story that's not propelled by characterization. Yeah, and and I I think as genre right, you know, you can embrace that. Yes, like mm. everything doesn't have to be about some kind of no. You don't need three dimensional interior. No, yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, I think it's more about sort of the idea, you know, or mm. the puzzle. Well, the, one, yeah. the thing that really interested me when I was thinking about it through this recent sure. sort of um, 
experience of watching the movies again is just the role of the ring, you know, and that it's mm. quite unusual to to read The Lord of the Rings first and the whole point is to destroy this thing mm. and you don't really have a backstory and you don't really know how it works. Sure, yeah. And that's kind of in itself, it's sort of quite unusual. Yeah. It's almost like there's an emptiness at the heart of what they're doing. Yeah. And I think that, that that's the bit that struck me when I was a kid is sort of the... What's it really about? You know, is normally they're trying to find the Grail. You know, yes. or there's something with this. I was really just going to bring up Arthur, actually. Yeah, yeah. Towards something, and you find out different pieces of information. But the ring's actually quite elusive. Yeah. It's quite unclear. And pretty know? much, you start the story with it as yeah. well. It's not you're going to find the no, ring. No, that's right. And then you get this backstory that explains the way it works and everything. And it actually, the more you find out about it, the less, less powerful interesting. It, yeah. and interesting it seems to be. Yeah. Mm. When I found out that it continued invisible, I was like. Why wasn't he just? Why didn't he just put it on and waltz in there I, I and like always, throw himself in the fire? I, I mean, al- really, then we'd be done. I almost <laughs> thought like when when the power got revealed that you could turn yourself invisible. I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> you know, when that happened, I was like, oh, oh well, I guess. But in one sense, I think it 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 kind of makes sense that it's just this like corrupting power that yeah. grows in strength, which is really interesting. Anyway, I think that's why I like the interpretation onto film. Yes. Because it took him not invisible so much as like into yeah. a different, yeah, into a different structure yes. of realm, yeah. and, a much worse place. place. And the yeah. way that place called to yes. others, yeah. So I really, th- I kept thinking it's like a magnet, mm. you know. And yeah. what I could tell with the kids, you know, and they're at the age where they're learning science and everything, you could yeah. see them really wrestle with the logic of it, and the logic was really sound. Yep. Mm. And I thought that's actually when it gets scary for them. Is so you when embrace the power and it becomes a magnet yeah, to the... And yeah, and they were like, you know, they really got the don't put it on and the mm. pull to put it on and they could think about it in terms of magnets and electricity and, yeah. you know, like, you know, gravity and sort of astral bodies and yeah, it yeah, made yeah, sense yeah. with all that other stuff mm. that they're learning and I thought, oh, that's... You know, that was much more significant than, oh, I've got the grail from Susan Cooper or I've got the sword. We'll just put it down. (laughs) (laughs) You know, hide it. (laughs) Yeah, there was a sense of tangibility about it. No, but there was was something about, I've said this so many times, but I really need to say it again. It is really evident to me how much love that Peter Jackson, Philippa Boynes, Mm. and the rest of the team Mm. had for Lord of the Rings going and like, the absolute love of the material that they invented lines that were amazing yeah. in the film, like original mm. writing. And then you have The Hobbit. <laughs> and I know for people who love the mythos of Lord of the Rings, for them it was more Tolkien, so it was great. But for me, man, it was such a disappointment, mm. you know? I, yeah, I watched a pick a part of what happened to The Hobbit and the number of corporations that were saying, no, you have to write this, yeah, just pulled apart. Like, I could just watch Peter Jackson's face just crumble. Yeah, and and also the, crazy. There, was, there was that... I think he made... I think in the, in the end, while there was a lot of um, external pressure on him, hmm. I think uh, Peter Jackson and the team made some very bad creative decisions as well that, in, in one sense pulled it away from being what The Hobbit was in the books. Like, uh, you don't have Mm. to be rote. It doesn't Mm. have to be set in stone that this is what the movie is going to be. But I really do believe there is intention behind work. So Mm. The Hobbit was a children's story Mm. for children. And then if you make it into the Lord of the Rings Mm. Hobbit edition, it's different. Mm. It's just something else entirely. Mm. Um, But yeah... I find it very difficult to, to, to watch The Hobbit. Um, mm. but it's I think so the other to... thing that really struck me, because I'm an English immigrant, mm. was how, you know, the kids' relationship with it was really different 
because they didn't bring all that English connection that sure. I had. Yeah, and yeah. we had actually been to New Zealand last year and we went to <laughs> Hobbiton. And I was like, oh, my God, it's like the Lake District. They've never been to the Lake District. Yeah. You know, it was like all these associations that Tolkien riffs yeah. on. And then Peter Jackson, you know, um, pulls these threads. Mm. And I thought it's quite interesting having like an 8, 10 Australian year old and you're asking them to make those kinds of connections. You know, and they're talking about like 11s's. And the kids think it's a made-up word yeah. from Lord of the Rings, and I'm like, no, no, no. I grew no, up no, with Elevenses, no. you know, thing, and yeah. so they sort of don't know what's kind of coming through that. I guess it's a bit the same when you talked about Game of Thrones, yeah. and Elizabethan history. Like, you, you know, they don't know what's invented and what's kind of, you know, coming from that culture at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I yeah, it's funny because for me, I I grew up in New Zealand, so it's like an opposite effect that I have with those films, where in the books. I really I'm like don't get me wrong I think I think the films are amazing for how they how they adapt the work. I couldn't pull myself away that I was seeing New Zealand on the yeah, right. on the screen instead of Middle yeah, Earth. Yeah. So You grew up in New Zealand. Yeah. I never would have picked that. I know I've been I've been everywhere. Everyone man. everywhere, man. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, shall we shall we uh move actually I'll just quickly say um that uh I watched I recovered from the horror that was Geostorm, the movie. <laughs> um, and I recovered and I thought I would take myself to the cinema and see something. Um, and instead of seeing something good, I went and watched Mission Impossible. Yes, me too. I saw it at IMAX. But <laughs> I loved it. On Kat's, I was going to say same. On Cat Sparks' recommendation. Yeah. And I just went and I went and I had so much fun. I had so fun. much fun. I had so much Absolutely. fun. I was laughing out loud. I Like I shrieked yep. at some... You know, it was like this, I can't remember, 3D or, you know, yeah, that yeah, giant yeah. screen. Yeah, I was that big person IMAX. who, yeah. you know, yelled when something happened. Yeah, yeah. And I just kept thinking, he, he's, his physicality no, he's not human. is good. No, he's not human. You know, like, he's I a was clone. like, good on him. You it's, know? it's like the movie The Prestige. Tom Cruise has just created clones of himself yeah, right. that he puts in each film and they die at the end of it. Um, so... Like it's not acting. Yeah, it's not <laughs> it's acting. Something else. <laughs> it's, it's a simulacra. <laughs> I, but I just I thought it was great. I thought I've got my money's worth out of that. I completely yeah. agree. It was a cinematic experience. It I was went the chop in. Top of <laughs> yeah, I loved it from start to finish. Yeah. I loved Henry Cavill's like insanity, yeah. and I thought it's the only only role that I've seen Henry Cavill in that I thought you suit this role. And I just liked like they're getting old. Yeah. You know, and they're kind of, they were holding it. They were yeah. working. They yeah. were jobbing actors. <laughs> <laughs> jobbing, doing their own stunt. You know, like I was like, yeah, you yeah. work it. Yes, you, you work to the retirement. <laughs> Good on you. Yeah. <laughs> and it's rare to see a movie franchise that gets better. Mm. Like that's, that's pretty Yeah, I thought rare. it respected its audience. Absolutely. It didn't kind of dial it in. It did like a real thing. Took itself seriously, but with, you know, enough internal kind of jokes and wink, winks, maybe. Rather yeah, than jokes. But, um, but with a significant lack of bathos that I found very refreshing. Yeah. There's way too much of it now yeah. where it's like, ah, just take it seriously yeah. because I will take it yeah. seriously. Yeah. Um, but no, it was great. Anything else that you've seen? No, um, that would be, that'd be red, it for me, I think. Um, oh, well... Um, I did go see Ted Chang at the yes. Melbourne Writers Festival last night and yep. so reread his short story, The Story of Our Life, The Story mm-hmm. of Your Life. Um, and actually that, that uh, it was, it's such an amazing short story. Yeah. Um, and interestingly enough, there is a connection here, um, we rewatched Looper last week. And then he talked about that last night. And it made me think I need to go and watch Primer again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all those kind of... 
where you think, oh, I totally got that. And then he was talking about it and I was like, did I totally get that? Yeah, Maybe yeah, yeah. He talked about 12 Monkeys as well. I thought, oh, I've got that on DVD at home. I might rewatch Monkeys, that as okay. well. Yeah, yeah. Go back to those loop movies. And yeah. Sort of what, what was the, re- mm. what was the um, conversation about loop? I'm, I'm curious here because there are very dissenting opinions about yeah. that. Yeah. Um, well, I'm hesitant to articulate it because he actually sure. had slides. He had a PowerPoint. Right. Well, that helps. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was there going, oh, I don't think I quite got that level yeah. of loop. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but I think that um, – what what he talked about last night, which was really good, yeah. was he talked about the difference between uh, fatalism and determinism right. in time travel movies. Right. So the difference between the logic of time travel where whatever you do, the same thing will eventuate, which yes. is fatalism. Yep. Therefore, you can kill mm. yourself or kill someone else and yep. the same outcome will occur. Mm. Yeah. Or determinism where the causes create behaviors that has consequences Mm. it's not all predetermined and it's not all exactly the same and yet the causes that determine the behavior that create the consequences will result in the events sort of planning out in a logical way which if i recall is looper that's right right. that's right so the the thing about looper is that kind of cause and effect that the motherless child grows up to be the dangerous murdering criminal yeah and then the action that um, is an attempt to avoid that becomes the action that creates that yeah. scenario, and the loop is broken. Yeah, um, it's it's really spoiler. curious. Yeah, spoiler. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I was you, trying so hard not to say anything else. Yeah, <laughs> and then I said the main thing, and then you did you it. Can edit then that you out. said the main thing. <laughs> um, it's really interesting with those films, and I just want to say, it's hard these days. To watch a film and say, like, okay, I watched this film in 2005 or whatever, whenever that movie came out, to some, I think it was later than that, um, and then listen to the articles and theory that comes out of that for the next 10 years, mm. which dramatically either improves your opinion mm. or, like, yeah. makes you hate the film without watching it again. Mm. You know, and I, I feel like we've gotten to the stage of uh, pedestrian criticism where it's easy enough for you to go on YouTube and make a video about whatever film and, you know, pick it apart or praise it or whatever, and then it have a knock-on effect of more people contributing to that space, either as a reaction to that or... I was going to say, how often would that be negative, though, in this genre? Because I think that one of the things is that there's a puzzle. Yeah. And one of the pleasures is working the puzzle out. Yep. But when the puzzle's really good, one of the risks is that you didn't work it out. You didn't get it. Or you didn't work it out right. Yeah. And so for me, there's just an additional respect if someone can show me another meaning or a stronger justification of my interpretation. Sure. It doesn't It doesn't diminish the film. Mm-hmm. Like the diminishment would just be the original experience. Yeah. Like yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. only, the, the, the conversation around it for that kind of film yep. that's ideas based only seems to increase the value of it for me. Well, well, there was one that I remember about Looper, curiously, where it was, it was, it was this zeitgeisty quote or tweet or something like that, uh, where someone was like, well, Looper is basically a film about which character can be the most unlikable uh, in the film. And I remember thinking about that. I was like, well, I don't, I don't really think that's what the film is about at all. I don't think it's about the characters in that sense. You know, it, yeah, it's really interesting. Makes me want to go see Looper again. Mm. 
I do remember I had I went on um, Wikipedia after I saw Primer and was like, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I need my study study yeah. notes <laughs> yeah. to you know kind of get get a, get across that one, and then you kind of watch it again. And go, oh, okay, I yeah. get I get these things. It's a bit like Cloud Atlas, right? Oh. Like I had the I had a similar thing when I, um, I I I watched it before I read it. Oh, which was a bad decision in hindsight. I'm yeah, I can't do the. You didn't. Yeah, you can't do the other way around. Well, that one in particular, I feel like the book is, yeah, it's got a... And actually, that that goes back to the Ted Chang short story because when I went back to the short story, I went, the movie's good. Yeah. But the short story's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's things he does that are with the text. Yep. So, and I don't think it's a spoiler because it's structured from the very beginning of both the movie and the short story that her daughter has died. And then in the film, there are flashbacks to her daughter mm-hmm. and in the story they're written in the future tense yeah and it's this huge fucking yeah. clue yeah 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 and right you just ignore it yeah you just read it as though it's a flashback yeah why did he write it in the future tense I don't know yeah just doesn't even occupy an iota of your mind yeah but when you get to the end you're like duh oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know and I think the film can't it, the medium doesn't have it a just doesn't tense. have the same you know, it just reads as a flashback. Yeah. Like you can't, you know, it's an interspersed image. There is no way in which it, it signposts that yeah. that great clue. Well, let's let's use this as the, the best segue that I couldn't plan <laughs> into the topic, which is about literary fiction and literary speculative fiction. Maybe you fiction. did plan it. Maybe you time traveled. <gasps> oh, no. This is, <laughs> Came oh, back goodness. <laughs> All right, there we go. I got to figure this one out. Um, but yeah, let's... So Rose did a panel at spec um, at Speculate about science fiction. And I think science fiction has had an easier time of literary specfic, in my opinion, than say fantasy has, um, which I think has some an easier time of literary specfic. Well, an expression. A lot of writers rely on science fiction when we're talking about yep. um, uh, literary specfic rather than yep. in fantasy, I suppose, um, and. That'll be, I guess, one of the questions that I'm interested in asking. But first, let's go down some let's go down some um, definitions because talking about when I preface any conversation with the word literary, that confuses about fifty percent of the audience usually um, because people view that word as and either hosts, yeah, and hosts <laughs> either as genres or styles or the way you write or the emphasis in you write. There's there's two major schools of thought, and then I'll hand it over to you, Rhodes, and then you can dissect this for us. So, basically, <laughs> not asking too much. <laughs> no, not at all. No pressure. Um, but the way that people usually engage with that word is people either see it as a genre. Like everything else, literary fiction is a genre in and of itself and has its own subgenres. Therefore, literary conventions and the whole list. Uh, another way that people look at literary fiction is usually in the idea that its emphasis is... How how would you pluralize that? (laughs) Uh, The emphasis in literary fiction is different to popular fiction. When I read a classic popular fiction fantasy story, I'm in it for the story, not the form. Um, And people assume, therefore, that literary fiction is more focused on the form than the story in that sense. While there is a story, the form is very important. So, with those two big pillars of what mm. people assume it is, what do you think? 
What do I think literary fiction is or literary speculative fiction? Let's go down the Let's list. Let's get both. Let's get both. Um, so this, I did a lot of this for my PhD. Sure. So where I ended up really is literary fiction. I agree with China Melville that it's a yep. genre. Yep. Um, there's, there's a few problems with that. It's a genre that defines itself as the opposite yeah. of genre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Mm, yeah. Um, Ken Gelder's got this great expression, big L literature. And as with Adam Roberts and people who write about science fiction or speculative fiction where they say, we really do know what it is, we just find it hard to define. Yeah. I would say the same with literary fiction. Yep. We really do know what it is. It's just a bit tricky to define exactly. But one of the things that um, Janae, I think, talks about is this idea of it being intentionally aesthetic. Sure. At the same time as – so that's when you talk about form versus story. Yep. The idea of literary fiction would it would be always the style is part of it yep. as well mm. as the substance. Yep. You know, even if people are Virginia Woolf style, stream of consciousness, walking down the street, yep. or not even walking, just standing and thinking. You know, even if the story is sort of all in, internal, you know, mm-hmm. that there is that kind of intentionality that, that literary fiction might have. I think <clears> – <throat> That where we kind of tie ourselves in a bit of a knot, I think, mm. is that there are very strong traditions that literary fiction is based on realism. Yeah. And realism is not necessarily the defining aspect of literary fiction, but the association is so strong, which has led people like um, China Melville to talk about sure. the Booker as a genre prize yeah. for literary fiction. And that literary fiction that he's talking about is realist literary fiction yeah. that he's calling litfic. Mm. And that version of literary fiction, which probably is the majority, mm-hmm. and it's definitely what sells the most. Sure. But it might be actually closer to middle brow, mm. which is a definition of a more commercial end of literary fiction that has readers who identify primarily emotionally with yeah. the book. Writers' festival attendees. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. particular um, more more prolific, you know, book club and book buying. Yep. Um, Group. Whereas one of the things I'm looking at in something I'm writing at the moment is that actually the kind of high art experimental risk-taking literary fiction might be quite close to speculative Spec-fake. fiction yeah. and it might have the same kind of numbers and it might have the same kind of artists or practitioners yeah. and it might have the very the very same quite small group of people who are buying it. Yeah, I was you know, just going to say, what about the buying numbers? In, yeah. this, in the ways in which it's experimental. You know, sure. you think about something like Lincoln in the Bardo or... Yep. Um, sorry, just some side side <laughs> antics by yeah. our fellow uh, book buyers under the age of five. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I sort of think that um, it it's sort of not literary fiction as just a genre in itself, mm. but the association is usually around this realist literary fiction. Sure. And then the, what I would see now is that you get this literary speculative fiction. Yep. And that is people like, for example, you know, Lincoln in the Bardo or, you know, people like Asuri Shiguru, where they're clearly literary writers, yep. but they're using speculative fiction conceits or conceits that historically are, you know, non-realist. Yeah. And that's shaken, shaken it all up a bit. Yeah. And... Uh, Okay, so I'm I'm gonna throw out an idea here. What do you think Dune is? Uh, see, for me, that's real genre fiction. Yeah, exactly. Right. It it's genre fiction, but often people will say that that's good genre fiction. But so then, therefore, uh, see, I really reject the idea that the literary fiction is a value judgment. Yes, absolutely. You know, I think it's really it's a category. 
Yep. Like it's like a category that a publisher um, might have a budget for. They might be a line item in BookScan. The bookseller knows where yep, to, where shelf to put with it. The name yep. On. So yes. it's a real description. And in fact, for someone like me, because of this predominance of realism, it's pejorative. It yeah. doesn't necessarily mean it, that it's a good thing. Sure. And I'll just to go back to what you said about Dune. It you can have genre fiction. Yep. That's fantastically written, like really well written. And I don't mean it can be absolutely literary, mm. you know. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's literary fiction and yeah. it shouldn't want to be. Yep. Like literary fiction is a genre that just sits next to another bookshelf and yeah. then there are some books that might that other have the, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, out, outside of the genres that we're interested in, you know, you'd look at something like Harry Potter, which was yeah. written as a children's book but then becomes printed in adults' versions yep. and is Fantasy bought by adults, yeah. you know. So mm. that would be something that, you know, it doesn't get contained within sure. one category. Yep. So things can get taken up and taken out and subverted by the readership because genre, I think, is created in the reader reception and how things are received as much as whatever the author wants to have it thought of as. Yeah. I think there's, there's also a thing that's happening more where... Um, so speculative, well, rather literary fiction specfic authors in the, in the idea that literary specfic, so Kazuo Ishiguro, you mentioned, mm. um, his books definitely tend towards more of the science fiction um, bend. And then we have the, uh, one of his latest books, which is The Berry Giant. So Luke, uh, myself, and Dr. L. Living's were on a podcast together, what was this, like a year ago? Two years Approximately, ago? Approximately, yeah. Yeah, where we went and tried to dig into that book mm. and try and get to the, the point. Now, that the consensus around the board was everyone didn't like it <laughs> um, in the idea that you felt that it sort of missed the point of fantasy. What, mm. you know, refreshes on your thoughts, Luke. <laughs> That's funny because it's been a while. It, it has been a very long um, time, yeah. I think I'm going to disagree with you on this yeah, one. This I, could get exciting. Yes, absolutely. I <laughs> hope so. my favorite author. Yeah. <laughs> I think it felt almost like it was, um, I would say somewhere between pretentious and trying hard to be fantasy. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I like some of his other works as well, so I'm not... Um, not judging him on that, just more on judging what his yeah, the what what is out what his outcome was there. Yeah. Whereas I would I would I would say my mm. thinking and this is why it interests me so much is sure. I don't think he wanted to do that. Yeah. Mm. And I don't think he meant to do that. Mm. And I think that he fought against it. I mean as though I know anything. Sure, I'm just, sure, sure, I'm sure. just speculating. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Um but I think it's that example and I've had this myself as a writer where you don't really want to do what you're doing. You don't want to go to this place and yeah. this place might be, you know, some dark sort of murder plot, but for yeah. me it's not. It's like a genre where you're like, "Oh, it looks like I'm doing that. I don't really want to do that, but this is what my dream is throwing mm. up. I'm so small." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. And I think in the case he did an interview as just before it was released, where he expressed these grave concerns about weird? whether the readers will yeah. follow, I will, will they follow me into this? Yep. And that's such a sort of psychoanalytic term for going into like a dark or childlike <laughs> yeah. place. Yeah. And I think it's um, rather than it being like the fantasy genre, it connects with the Lord of the Rings. I think it's more like the cultural um, sort of Arthurian legends that have percolated up that are about living in a in a site of trauma. Yeah. You know, the dead 
you know, like living on gravestones. And, and memories, and yeah. being and, and then not being your memories. Yeah. You know, like just thinking about the idea of like the the land that we're on and the traditional owners and the mm. genocide that takes place and thinking if you think about that too much, that's very disturbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's nothing you can do with that and they're not even your dreams or your history. Mm. And so what I liked about The Buried Giant is the problem of it. Yeah. I found it difficult to read and I found it was really murky. You know, yes. It was like I was obscured all the time saying, what, what, yeah, yeah, who, yeah. what, yeah. what, they're in the boat on the reeds, you know, yeah. kind of, and I think that, that's what he's created that for me is sort of the success that mm. that yeah. that experience of well, it's sort of like the unconsoled you know the it's an unsettling experience um and yeah and i i don't know that that he's like in control of that and when i'm going to give rose an unsettling experience yeah. he's trying to write a story and it becomes you know unpassable um unpursuable Here's here's my um, my devil's advocate against that, and not so much against that, but on a different tent. So, the conversation that we had, um, it very much ended up to be that both Earl and and uh, Luke did not enjoy the Buried Giant, and I did. I quite enjoyed the Buried Giant, but for different reasons. I didn't enjoy it as a fantasy book, but I yeah. just don't think it was yeah. in that sense. It was using it as a setting and as a set piece. And I think that is one of the reasons that people didn't like that because they saw it as window dressing without observing the conventions that yeah. make, say, for instance, Arthur. I think that's really accurate. So what would happen if he'd taken away the fantasy Arthurian aspects like the country, yes. like the dragon, like the knights, and yeah. put it in a post-apocalyptic setting? I think people would have loved it I think and they there would wouldn't be any it. criticism. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's a really interesting thing and that's where I think – I don't feel like it's totally intentional. I feel yeah. like these are the kind of cultural ghosts that sometimes you're just seeing a night. I think <laughs> you're not I think, thinking it's a good thing to yeah. see. Yeah. And 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 the and one of the things right there that you mentioned about the culture is he made a decision in the story to portray um a genocide in the story uh inverted from how it was in history. Mm. And I feel like that. So portraying the Saxon, Saxons yeah. um, in a in a in a much uh, more positive light than in the uh, than in the way that it was in in um, the classic myths and even in history. So by doing that, people who are connected mm-hmm. to that myth and who value that very deeply see that as an instant disconnect from the mm-hmm. story. So in one sense, that's. Uh, that's a pull away. Do you think that's that's difficult for an author that has very little connection or writing? Like Luke, you you dabbled in um, science fiction in a couple of short stories that you've done, um, but you're primarily a fantasy writer. Mm. Did you find that difficult going cross genre in that sense, or is it just something that you you think you could get criticism for because maybe you didn't get all the conventions of science fiction? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that I would have difficulty there because I I've been reading science fantasy for yeah. most of my life, so yep. <laughs> uh, it didn't come across as hard for me. Yeah, but, but that's because that's in my territory. That's that's it's familiar ground for me. And I wonder if that's one of the reasons why he felt uncomfortable. Even you, you, you know, I listened to some of his interviews around mm. the Berry Giant, and he it was very. He doesn't strike me as a man who's um, 
cagey about what he's writing. But with the Barry Giant, he mm. was very, you know, there's a lot of trepidation mm. going into that release. Uh, the reason I was laughing is I was just thinking, as a literary specfic author, I can rip off any genre. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't, you know, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. like for sort of, I mean, it kind of goes back to your point about those sort of differences. Yeah. And it's interesting, I was thinking about this in relation to just some aspect of my new book and I was thinking, sure. well... I don't really know need to know how that works because I'm not actually a science fiction author. Yeah. You know? And I was like, it's interesting, like, and it goes back to we were talking about Michelle Faber compared to Ted Jang in Last mm. Night and his, you know, half an hour presentation on how time travel would actually work with <laughs> black holes in spaceships that were travelling at the speed of light and yeah. doing animation to kind of explain it all. Yeah. Um, and realising, you know, what a scientific grasp of the logic and the rationale kind of yeah. he has of it. Whereas I guess what you're talking about with something like Lincoln in the Bardo or with someone like Sue Shiguru is you're talking about literary writers who are fundamentally concerned with, you know, an aspect of literary cultural production. Yes. And they're not necessarily yeah. reading prolifically in the genre mm-hmm. or addressing any of that stuff. And they're... You know, like people who are um, critical of it. Um, Stanley Robinson sort of talks about they're just, you know, ripping off our guys. You know, they're just sort of – or they're, you know, um, feeding off it like, you know, spores or mushrooms. You know, one of the other ways of looking at it would be that literary production is kind of at the at the forefront of the kind of cultural generation. And they're always – you know, Joanna Russ would say they're always yeah. looking to the margins. You know, they're always looking to the niche genre producers and that's kind of how the – the, yeah. you know, amoeba f- feeds. Yeah. Um, and so it sort of like depends whether you see it as, you know, a good thing or a bad thing, you know, like what is it? Um, uh, copying is the greatest form of praise. Yeah. You know, and it might be quite sort of unconscious. So this question of whether Ishiguro thought that he was doing fantasy or would have cared if he did or recognised it belatedly or whatever. And that's authorial intent, right? Like we're going to that And really. I just think that's sort of not how we consume the book, sure. you know, so a fantasy writer reads it as not what they like or not fitting their conventions or as something totally different. But yeah. the thing as well to think of, if we think about it from the writer's point of view, of Ishiguro, every one of his books is a different genre. Yes. You know, so you could say Never yep. Let Me Go is science fiction because it's about yes. cloning, but it doesn't read as any science fiction book ever. It reads mm. as like 1950s Enid Blyton you know, like children in a boarding yeah, school yeah, yeah, yeah. who just happen to discover that they're clones. <laughs> yeah. You know, and Remains of the Day is like historical literary fiction and and um, Pale View of the Hills is, you know, gothic vampire. So clearly in terms of his creative practice, this is one of the things he does is he sort of feeds on what's around and produces something within it which is actually has a kind of chameleon-like ADHD Yeah, he, he's a literary tourist through spec fic, yeah, basically. that's right. Yeah. And I I think that's amazing and yeah. incredibly admirable. And I love that variety. But there's a whole lot of loyalists who aren't going to have that yeah. reaction. Yeah, exactly. What, like, with with that, did you, Luke, and I know this is turning into a, um, episode two of, of, <laughs> of, of uh, Kazuya Ishiguro's um, Barry Giant. But, you know, in that sense, did you feel that pull of like, well, this isn't fantasy, thus I don't like it? Or did you feel like it just wasn't, you know, the writing wasn't clicking for you? Yeah, the, it was more like um, I wasn't clicking with the yeah the, with the writing. Yeah. So I was reading and thinking, well, it's a fantasy setting, but I'm the writing's not, I'm not, under, I'm not getting yeah. a sense of enjoyment from the writing or... No, it's like or, a quest that, that resists itself. Yeah. Mm. Like there is no travel or... Yeah. It's 
So, okay, going, so changing tack off that, um, yeah, changing tack off that, and, uh, pretty much going into the tail end of the podcast, um, with, with a final comment on literary spec fic, is that hard? <laughs> You're putting me on the spot. I'm putting you on the spot, in the sense that, <laughs> is it hard, uh, th- this is the justification thing that comes with an author's when you have to explain yourself and why you choose your genres, <laughs> but do you You fi- don't choose it. Exactly, I mean, that, exactly, that's right? really what I would say. I would say what we're doing is we're being cultural critics yeah. who are looking at a moment in time and the moment in time that I see and it's optimistic. You know, I, I just think it's incredibly, you know, fantastically hopeful because what I see is the end of realism. Yeah. You know, the end of modernism and the idea that the, that the place for books is in the interiority of someone, some middle-class educated white person's life which probably doesn't even represent a middle-class educated white person's yeah, yeah. life, let alone the, the range of people that there are, let alone the external yep. world. And what I see on my hopeful days is actually the diminishment of that and a range of diverse styles of storytelling and diverse voices. And one of them is still primarily literary. It's concerned with that kind of art mm-hmm. or artifice but it now has non-realist ideas, whether yeah. they're from science fiction or fantasy, you know, or kind of, you know, gothic or weird fiction or any of these myriad sure. steampunk, you know, traditions. Yep. Um, and I think that that's, that's what I see is I see that you don't choose it, but you're a, sort of a symptom of your time. And in a positive way, we've got the end of this hierarchy that was really was, um, it, you know, was the norm we became biased towards realism. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so literary and speculative fiction the... to me isn't some new genre. It's a sp- it's an empowered sort of splintering away yeah. with someone kind of having the freedom to be sort of atypical. Absolutely. And kind of give it a burl. And I think that is a perfect point <laughs> to leave the podcast. Thank you very much, Rose, for joining us today. Um, please tell our listeners where people can find you um, and what you've got coming up. I've got um, I've got an event at Writers Victoria coming up, um, a panel interview there, which should be interesting on creative writing PhDs. Yeah. Um, and that'll be on their website and at the Small Press Network at the end of this year, there'll be a panel on SpecFic and um, in the small press publishing scene, which should be interesting. Wonderful. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the two things I've got that I'm looking forward to right now. Fantastic. Well, I would pay real good money to see you <laughs> and Earl on a stage talking about the very giant because I think that would be that would be quite amazing. <laughs> Luke, where can people find you? What have you got coming up? Uh, you can find me watching that interview but yeah (laughs) (laughs) i feel a setup yeah (laughs) let's make this happen shall we yeah this is our next project yeah um yeah you can find me uh at the soul shot on twitter i don't tweet a ton these days but i sometimes do and you can always hit me up there or um on the soul fantastic uh, you can find The Morning Bell. Well, you're probably listening to it right now, so that means you found the page, themorningbell.com.au. Uh, don't forget to check out um, Speculate 19. We just announced the date. says March 15th and 16th uh, next year, so I really hope that you can join us for that, covering conversations like these. You can find that at specfic.com.au. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, and we will see you on the next episode. Thank you.